This is Bibliovile Election Night Special. For this episode of Bibliovile, Nick read Voodoo River by Robert Craze. Lauren read Brave Decisions by Ivy Asher and Raven Kennedy. And I read Magic Bites by Alona Andrews. Welcome to the Biblioval Election Night Special, wherein we try to stop looking at the election. I promised myself that I was not going to look at the Electoral College map until after we record the episode. This episode will either be a celebratory release, or oh my god, they were playing the harp while Rome burned sort yeah. of thing, you know? I'm Susan. Oh yeah, I'm Mick Dickinson. Sorry, I'm one of the readers. And also... I'm Lauren Alvarez. The Lauren, Lauren's here with her Lauren's last name. Here. It's a great oh, time. Yeah. We all read her. We all read our books, and it'll be a grand old time as we talk about them. But frankly speaking, everything else we have to talk about, I don't want to. No. So let's hop into it. Susan, I had Voodoo River. You gave it to me. So I have had a list for several months now of bad book titles that I found on the library's ebook page and that, i thought this one was going to be really bad and apparently it wasn't that bad and i'm bummed yeah i have since misplaced my notes but frankly i don't really care that oh, much no uh i don't really care that much because this book uh if you were to ask me susan asked me how this book was how was your book man it was all right yeah this feels more like a book i had to read because my mom wanted to talk about it than a book I had to read for an especially bad books podcast. You wouldn't know anything about that. It was called Voodoo River. It had nothing to do with voodoo. I thought it was going to be like... Zombies and river and yeah, and a whole thing. Southern Gothic. Um, This was a 90s detective story about human trafficking. Okay. Uh, It was interesting in the way that a book that you don't really want to read can be interesting because it starts off with Elvis Cole, who is a guy who is alive during the Vietnam War's idea of a Vietnam veteran cool guy who's not too broken down by it. Uh-huh. Uh, sort of private eye. And he works in LA. Only a little bit of mental illness. Only a little bit of flashbacks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he works at a private eye in Los Angeles and the book opens with him talking to a sitcom star, uh, Jody Taylor, and she's basically on. Oh, we don't have anything in the like the home improvement where it's kind of like the oh, it's the family show. Uh-huh. But she's a single mom who wants to become a singer, and so it's called Songbird. And basically, the single mom was adopted, and we wait in the show or in the in the real life in the real life. And so the star of the show is adopted and wants to find out who her adoptive parents are. And she's from Louisiana, so Elvis Cole, Private Eye, uh, gets on a flight to the Bayou, okay. and we get approximately. Uh, 12% of the way through the book before someone puts on an oh, oh mammy kind of uh, oh please mess up yeah, kind of accent. Yeah, I figured that was going to happen. Uh, and so it wasn't terrible. He visits a, a law office in which the secretary is black, but the uh, law office is entirely decorated in like cotton fields and all this sort of stuff. And he points it out 
And I thought it was, it's an extraordinarily 90s book in a lot of different ways, which I'll get into, but it starts here where it's like, he's kind of worried about how she feels working day to day in a cotton field decorated sort of office. Does she feel you know, what in 2020 we might use the term othered and yeah. these sorts of things. And then she goes, and then he says, or maybe she didn't care because she got paid a lot of money. And so it's like, it's kind of 1990s. Yeah. It's also very 1990s in the way that every single black, every single character who is black is labeled as African-American, but every single character who's not black is just, their race is not discussed. Yeah. And so it's like, there were three children, one of them African-American. And it's like, that really wasn't like needed or anything. And to be fair to this book, uh, the plot does revolve around being black because it turns out Jodie Taylor is a out of, an out of wedlock, uh, teenage baby between her birth mother and a black teenager who was then killed by her birth teenagers, uh, her birth father, birth mother's dad. Okay. So mom and wow. dad were mixed race, and then basically dad got mad and capped the dude, and it was Louisiana in the 50s, and so no one cared. Does Jody Taylor know that she is biracial? So that's the thing. She was being blackmailed for being biracial by somebody in Louis. I'm just going to spoil the whole fucking book. Don't read it. It's not terrible, <laughs> but like, don't read it. And so somebody in Louisiana was already blackmailing her as like, I'll tell the whole world you're black. And her agent had convinced her to pay the blackmail because she's on this family value show in the nineties. And if it came out that she was mixed race, she'd lose the whole thing. And to her character's Gross. to her character's credit, she's like, I don't care that. Yeah. And also, it it's the '90s, baby. This the second most referenced decade since the '60s. While we're in the decade, yeah. Um. So, uh, the mystery then starts developing into something more. The original mystery is very by the book and very boring. Like he goes to the library and looks up birth records. And birth notices and goes and talks to all the other moms because moms gossip and slowly but surely he closes in and actually he, he the main character doesn't find it until some other asshole has already found it and he steals his sort of research. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning of the book, it's very, very boring. And then it slowly but surely gets deeper and deeper into a bigger thing that uh, in this county, something else is happening that's not actually related to the birth, but... Uh, human human trafficking is going on. Coyotes are bringing in illegal, undocumented immigrants uh, from uh, several countries and bringing them through this sort of port in Louisiana, like through okay. the swamp. And then he wants to put an end to it because he sees like uh, an undocumented immigrant little girl who had died in the hold, and then the grandpa who is bringing her in like is protesting and he gets murdered. And so like, oh my god. Uh, and so it's also very 90s and like people are dying, but we're going to call them all illegals. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's really unfortunate. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, the 90s. It's the yeah. 90s. It's a different. Vocab was different. I yeah. will I will take that they're people and I care about their safety yes. as, a, as a show of good faith. Um, and so slowly but surely we get into, uh, you know, it's time to root out the sort of... Uh, people who are just in it for the buck and are letting these people die out in the ocean because they collect money up front and whole thing. And the one thing that it does have going for it very, very well is that one guy with a gun is very scary. Mm -hmm. And it's like too often in these kind of books, there's like a big whole shootout 
But it's like, no, a person with a gun is actually quite scary. Yeah. And so it, it does do a good job of identifying, like, this guy had a gun. I, w- I couldn't do anything because he had a gun. And it's all thing. Naturally, he hooks up with the hot LSU tennis uh, scholarship lawyer mm. who walks around her house at 40-something naked, eating breakfast naked. It's like, hey, good for you, lady. If you had sex all night the night before and now you're walking around your house naked, I, I power to your confidence because I can't stand yeah. being naked outside of my own bedroom. And not only because we have a roommate. <laughs> and so uh, we don't get to, we don't see any of the sex scenes there. The most explicit it gets is that they go to shower and she says something about like, oh, your stamina and gets down on her knees and then the chapter ends. Ooh, scandalous. Right? Scandalous indeed. Saucy. Um, so yeah, what's the funniest thing I can attest to this is that I did not know it was written in the 90s uh, when you gave it to me. And so I'm reading about this this lawyer who's kind of sexy, but in a sort of like mature professional kind of way. And so I'm I'm thinking like pencil skirt. I'm thinking like high heels or yeah. whatever. And then it's like, oh, and by the way, she went to high, she went to college in the 80s. So this is the 90s. And in my mind, like if I could animate it, it would just be her wearing a jacket and then the shoulder pads just bloop, just, <laughs> just pop up. I'm like, oh my God, her shoulder pads just got so much bigger. Because the 90s is terrible. Yeah, but yeah, this book was not bad. It just wasn't good. Like, there's a difference. You know, I gotta say, kind of a bummer for a comedy podcast. Susan, you are are the master of this podcast. I think your hits are bigger than my hits, but this was a rare miss for you. This was not. You gotta read the synopsis. I'll do, I, okay, I'll do better next time. I will. Good. I demand it. I demand worse books. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, continue on the path that we are on. <laughs> this one was easy to read. I didn't take a lot of notes. There was some there's some problematic accent work, and that's the worst I got. All right. So that was Voodoo River by Robert Craze? Grace? I don't know. Don't look at me. I don't know the man. Fair enough. I have, in the same way Susan has a list of bad titles, I have a Biblio Next Up uh, Amazon list. And this one has been on my Next Up Amazon list for quite a while. Grave Decisions. Lauren, you've just clicked past it. I'm going to ask you to click back because you have, you are reading this off of an iPad, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Instead of a Kindle. And so you get the full color cover. <laughs> and so, Susan, if you'd like to look at the full color cover. Oh, no. Uh, as a person who did not pick this uh, and did not have to read it, how would you sort of describe the woman upon grave decisions? She has some, what a country star would call, painted on jeans. Her <laughs> shirt has a lot of holes in it. And her hair is... Bluish, greenish. Yeah. I would say green is the grave decisions. Yeah. And as the book describes it, ass length. Oh, ass we length. are in it. Uh, she also we are has, off to a good friggin' start. She also has a dual sided uh, scythe. scythe. It is mm-hmm. not a dual scythed scythe. I would uh, also like to point out that this is book three. This is uh, book it's three. a regular uh, Darth Maul Grim Reaper <laughs> situation we got going on. So, uh, Grave Decisions, Lauren. It's been on my list for a while. Please tell me I did good. You, as a first time Bibliophile guest. As a first time guest, you did great. Thank you. It was awful. <laughs> Just awful and honestly i'm just gonna read the first sentence naturally so that or sorry the first paragraph so it's worth it um so that you kind of get a feel for what the rest Mm -hmm. of the book good they're very consistent in their tone and language 
I grab the box addressed to the house I just parked in front of and jump out of my truck. It's in present tense. The, <laughs> yes. The sun glares down at me the same way my boss does when I'm incapable of moving at inhuman speeds and delivering 10 packages at a time. Oh, no. I pull the ugly ass purple polo that's part of my uniform away from my already sweat sticky skin and walk up to the front door. Very nice. Present I tense. I love Cannot do better than that. There's not much Mick hates more in a bibliophile book than present tense. First awful. person present tense. Oh, First person it's present tense is trash. Awful. Tell it Suzanne awful. Collins. Yeah. <laughs> and so this book is based in Georgia. Um, she start yes, Naturally. She, small Always town Georgia, be in the South. Mm-hmm. very small town Georgia. Um, the main character we're following, Medley Bell. Um, Medley. Who her Medley. Okay. Her parents refer to her as Heavenly Bell. They're very Christian people. Heavenly Bell, or often HB. Heavenly Bell. So they named her one name and call her (laughs) a completely different different name. Okay. So just to touch on some of the. And also, HB's is a Texas based uh, grocery store. That's, I mean, could be that too. HEB. So, Medley here, HB, as people <laughs> oh, Heavenly oh, yeah. Elizabeth Bell. Oh, so. yeah. Right, that right. makes sense. Medley, Heavenly Elizabeth Bell. <laughs> so, she works for a company that delivers packages to people. You know, they, that's her job. And she has to be there on time. Her boss's name is Patricia, and she Patricia. is the worst. Patty. Anyone Patty. named Patricia. Sorry for... That's Lauren's middle name. <laughs> Anyone first named Patricia. <laughs> I think that's rude, but okay. So she's delivering packages. It all starts off with this whole scene where she knocks on someone's door and a dog basically ran- runs after her. It's very dramatic. Start out with a bang. And so Patricia gives her a call and says, if you're late one more time, you're fired. And so she has one more package to deliver. Time is running out. She gets, it's, she shows up at this grungy, swampy, as they describe it, bar that she has to deliver this package to. She gets to the bar. The bartender is, like, not very helpful as to, he won't sign. He has to make sure that the right person signs. Finally sends her to the back, and she's like, I'm running out of time. And then she trips over this stick. Uh, is she clumsy? She's not clumsy. Oh, okay. I know, I know. I thought that, too. But they made a very, very big deal out of this stick. They kept talking about this damn stick that she says she now owns because it's her stick because she tripped on it, and it injured her. So she owns the stick. Oh, good. Yes. And so my stick, I you know? feel like either the stick winds up becoming mm-hmm. extremely relevant to the plot, mm-hmm. or it means absolutely nothing, and we do this for no reason. Well, you see, Susan, you'll find out about halfway through the book why it's important. <laughs> so. Good. Yes. A slow burn. Ah, yes. And a real so Chekhov stick situation. She nice. finally Never gets... introduces Ooh. stick in Act 1. It yeah. doesn't pay off in Act 3. <laughs> She finally makes it to the back office where the person's supposed to sign for it. His name is Alder, who I kept saying is Alterer for some reason. His <laughs> name is Alder. He is hot and, quote, makes her panties wet. Oh, oh no! <laughs> so that is Alder. I, I got you mm-hmm. the bibliovile book. Yeah. Oh, it's I love that that is the physical description of him that we get. He's hot. He's hot. <laughs> So, also, apparently, 
she, he's supposed to sign for this package, but he takes... Sign for his he package. He has about... Exactly. <laughs> and he has about 30 seconds to finish signing for this package before she's late and might get fired. So he takes a very long time to sign for this package. And she's just, like, describing how hot he is the whole time. Finally, he signs for it. It's late. She gets fired. So decides to get drunk at this bar. Thinks that she all of a sudden gets drugged because she's looking around. And all of a sudden, everyone looks like aliens. Oh, no. Oh, God. Yes. And actually, I'm very confused as to if this is, like, a Guardians of the Galaxy type book because they do keep referring to the bartender as looking like Groot. The the they straight up say Groot. Yes, multiple <laughs> times. Oh no! So I was a little confused on that. That'll and did, age well. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so they did that, and so anyway, she she says she blacks out and goes home. Wakes up the next morning. Mom and dad are there because she lives with her parents. She's in her late twenties. Lives with her parents. Mom and dad are there. And then all of a sudden, Alder and this other guy named Flint show up at the house. Flint is also very hot. Question. Mm-hmm. Does does Flint make her panties wet? She didn't explicitly says that say that, but he does give her that look in his mm. eye. Ooh, nice. that look. Mm, we all look. know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that happens. And then they say, so she's fired from her job and they say, we're here to tell you about a job that we want to give you. So they... It's they, like as a, not as a package deliverer, mm-hmm. but as a package receiver. Ooh. Hey. If you know hey. what I mean. Hey. Ooh. So it turns out the job is to protect the Hellgate because she is a demon. Oh, <laughs> and naturally. As, naturally. She's yeah. a demon. That old chestnut. Yes, as one is. So they um, tell her she's a demon. She's like, yeah, okay, I'm a demon, sure. And then she's still carrying around this stick, and they're like, and that is your scythe. And she's like, it's a stick. Um, it later does turn into a scythe where blades pop out of it. It's well, great. I mean, that's good because yes. otherwise she'd just have to carry around that stick forever because she owns it now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, but my favorite part is when she went back into the house, um, a day later or so after, and just kind of joking with her parents about like, yeah, they told me I'm a demon. That's crazy. And her parents, again, this woman, I think she's like 28-ish is what they say. They go, ah, oh, Yes. Remember when you were dropped off on our porch by a man who was purple with wings? That makes sense. Maybe you are a demon. <laughs> a real Harry Potter situation we have going on. This here. is really this is. is so rural Georgia. It is. Yeah. You this, never know this what is happens. A, this story happens all the time. This here, is a story you know? is a dime a dozen. Yeah. Rural Georgia. Georgia. Real Georgia. <laughs> that wasn't good. Well, <laughs> <laughs> was British. Thank you. Yes. Uh, hello, Georgia. Hey, Georgia? Georgia? You got to go. Savannah. Georgia. Savannah. Savannah. Georgia. So, anyway, she just decides, all right, I'll go back to this bar and take on this job as demon. a guardian oh. of the Hellgate and demon. Naturally. So, naturally. And so, and her, they're called mates, Um, are Alder and... Um, she gets Flint? two. Yeah, she has Alder and Flint. They are her. They're her guard. They're her mates, and okay. they they help protect her as she protects the Hellgate. 
Does um, she have sex with both of them at Susan, the same time? Spoiler. Often, often she does. Yes, yes, this yes, book yes, yes. Is I would describe a smutty, smutty <laughs> demon <laughs> sex book. Bibliophile. Yes. is nothing without some oomphs. So uh-huh. I would give you more information on the plot, but oh, there isn't. Slower. It's all. <laughs> it is truly all demon sex and training to protect the Hellgate until she meets her twin sister. Naturally. Oh, yes. Okay. Who, also, who has four mates. So that, I'm guessing oh, at least one of the two other books is about the sister. I would assume. And the third book, or this is the third, the fourth yeah. book is actually about the third sister that we find out about in this book. Oh. Who the whole, like, last third of the book they've discovered they have this sister and they have to rescue her from the other demons which the very end of the book spoiler alert i don't worry about they it. find the third <gasps> sister and decide they have to rescue her end book <gasps> oh and that's a very bibliophile so, too a very sudden ending i've yes. got to be sudden so there is, we read a book series called Otherworld. Great. And it was 21 books long. Uh, and we read the entire series. One third of it. And <laughs> because we, each of us read a different oh. third. Um, and we differentiated between this thing known as small plot, which is from front page to back page, what is the thing that is happening? That small plot. Big plot is like from first book to last book, what is happening? Is there... <laughs> And if so, what is the small plot of this book? Because it feels pretty big Is plot. it just like she finds out she's a demon? Yeah. She finds out she's a demon. And one... Oh, oh big, big thing I missed. She's actually... She finds out near, near the end, once again, that her and her other two sisters are actually half demon, half angel. They Those two oh, love to fuck. They love to fuck. And each of them has, like, basically their own, like, deadly sin. And obviously, Medley's is lust. Naturally. So, um, so it's a lot... She's again, a it's a lot of demon sex. That's... Three-way demon okay. sex. It's we, a lot. That's the name we, of my beer. Oh, God. <laughs> Three-way demon sex. So, we are quite honest on this podcast that sometimes a sex scene can be written well. <laughs> it is possible. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they're not. I'm assuming this no! these were not. <laughs> it's like full chapters long. Yes. I don't know how, like, raunchy we're going to get on this podcast, but, like, it is like full three-way. Oh, no, I was going to interrupt you, but keep going. <laughs> I have to cross my legs for a moment. Oh, no. <laughs> keep it in. Full That's what she on said. three-way demon sex where it's like medley sucking on Flint's cock while Alder is fucking her from behind. And they're high-fiving. They're high-fiving. So, but don't worry. They made it very clear that Alder and even Alder and... Uh, Flint. 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 In like Flint, most literally. (laughs) They had never been partners before, but they're happy to be together now. Is it like as long as they don't connect eyes, it's fine? Exactly. Um, I just wanted to to bring back Otherworld. My character, Camille, uh, had three husbands. And often, all three husbands would have sex with her at the same time. And there was a guy who would, through taking 
action figures and smushing them together style uh, physics would be on the most bottom, giving oral pleasure, uh, while another husband uh, went from behind in the butt. And so, and then the third husband, of course, from the front. Mm -hmm. And so I just want you to think about poor, poor Morio, what he (laughs) had to see doing oral pleasure uh, and what he might have had to feel on his chin. And so that's where we're starting off. That's horrifying. That's, oh no, that's, that's. Trespass territory. That's that's done now. (laughs) One thing that I do always find horrifying and funny about the sex scenes is in these books is the euphemisms that they come up with for various genitalia. Were there any good honey place? Yeah, honey place was one of the worst ones. Were there any good? Well, you see, the writing's so bad. She mostly referred to her vagina as my place. Oh, uh, just it. My the, place. the entrance to my sex. My, the oh. entrance to my place. I oh. one of yes. one of that's gross. It's one of our awful. friends developed a word aversion to the word crest because it was used oh. so much in describing. I love the idea that her womb is kind of like putting putting its feet up on a little like footstool and be like, "Hey, welcome to my place. Welcome to my place. <laughs> this is my place." Oh, but there was one descriptor that is now burned into my brain the rest yep. of my life. They describe. Um, they described one of them coming as <laughs> boiling hot ribbons. Oh, <laughs> no! Oh, no! I'll never forget the boiling hot ribbons. As you said that, I like crossed my legs <laughs> really hard. Like, boiling no! hot might be the worst thing for coming. Well, they are oh, demons and gross. they do go to hell often. So, And also one of the main, the actually I vividly remember the sex scene where they did have the boiling hot ribbons. They were literally in a sauna. Uh, <laughs> because of course they were. You know how ball sacks love to be yeah. boiling hot? Yuck. Yeah. This, this goes beyond shooting hot ropes. Now we're into boiling oh, hot ribbons. I'm so unhappy. It's horrible. In your place? In my in place. In my place. <laughs> Ew. It's horrible. Ew. Yeah, so a lot of um, smutty demon right. sex. More uh. more guesses from a veteran team of BiblioVile readers to a, a relative mm. newbie. Mm-hmm. My guess. Guess the first. The two demon men are uncomfortably controlling over what she is and does. Um. So actually not as Whoa. much as her twin sister, Destiny, ha- with her God like, four. God damn, that's a terrible name. Yes, yeah. with like her four, it's like, I think it's four or five Jesus. mates. Um, They're like, honestly, in the next book, I bet one of them leaves because he is like so controlling, like won't let her fight anything. But um no, they they trust Medley and want her to do well, so they they work with her as long as her honestly, as long as they can they, get in her place. In her place mm-hmm. and they're big on communication. I'm not going to lie Good to you. For them. I know. You know, that's so, what you have to do to make that kind not, of relationship work. So they're this, not overly protective. Always, oh, sorry, you get a prediction. Do you have a prediction, Susan? Um there are fight scenes in this. Yes. So many. Okay. When she is in the fight scene, is she always wearing, like, tight leather clothing and very high heels? So, actually, so, the, um, so, Medley and Destiny, and then also the third sister, Sable, who we don't find out about until later, Medley and terrible Destiny, names. <laughs> I know, Medley and Destiny are the first 
Hellgate Guardian female okay. demons. They're the first. Yes, Hell Queen. Yes, yes. Queen. So they have a uniform of leather pants and a leather bra. Yeah, yep. just, just the bra. Just the bra. And Destiny do. complains about the bra. It's a often. it's a sports bra, right? Because if they're fighting, they need support. Or I is it? It's a bra bra. It's a bra bra. I cannot Gross. imagine a lot of things, but also the chafing of leather is just I don't Un- even unpleasant. Unpleasant. Uh, does anyone have an odd? And this sounds like a euphemism, and it's not. Does anybody have an odd weapon that they use to fight? Um, like, for, well, for instance, nunchucks. No, they all use scythes okay. because they're uh, demons. You but know how all demons are the Grim Reaper? They yeah, of all course. are. Mm-hmm. Do any of the characters have odd eye colors? <gasps> specifically, gray, gold, and violet. All theirs are butterscotch. Butterscotch! That's gold. <laughs> yep. That's butterscotch. They're all, no, they're all weird colors. Yep. He's butterscotch, but his skin is like a lavender color. Do their eyes change color? Um, Ooh, they, skin do, is a new one. they don't change color, but humans don't see them as demons. They see them as humans. So okay. he still had butterscotch. When, so when Medley was seeing him as a human before she w- realized demon, um, he looked like a normal human, except very hot and made her panties wet, <laughs> but had butterscotch eyes. But they so, all have color. Like they look like aliens. Here's a question that mm-hmm. might have gone overlooked given the hotness. Mm-hmm. Did one of them make her panties wet and the other one make her mouth water? Oh my god, they did! <laughs> yes! She explicitly talks about her mouth watering. Now yes! that is some foreshadowing, or should I say two shadowing? Yep. Because of the Eiffel Tower situation. They are oh, yeah. yeah. That's awful. planning ahead. <sighs> Any any last minute questions, Susan, for the uh, for the veterans here? I love the butterscotch eyes. That mm-hmm. is a truly incredible detail. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Do they ever? <laughs> do they ever in the middle of a fight scene have a long extended conversation about us? They don't. Oh, but okay. their fight scenes will be like. Well, I guess they kind of do, but like the fight is like over, and then he comes back. Uh, you know okay. what I mean? No, we were talking like they punch a guy no. and would look and be like, "So how's it going? <laughs> How are we?" That sort of thing. No, they no none of that. But definitely like fight scene for like three pages, and then they stop and talk about her needing to be safe and like being together and protecting her because they're a team and then the guy comes back. Is that a double team? Yeah, double oh. team as they often do to medley. Hello. They also say the word hell about 25 times in the first four pages of this yeah. book. As in like, as in like slapping their head, ah, hell, yes. or like, oh, good. Okay, All of naturally. it. All of it. All of the All ways of the to say hell. All of the hells. Mm-hmm. Michigan? Yes. Naturally. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jen talking about Michigan. Now we're back in the election special. <laughs> Any last things uh, to share with the group, Lauren, or ask questions, Sue? 10 out of 10, do not recommend. <laughs> 10 out of 10, would not read again. Would not read. Yeah, All right, 10 inches out of 10 inches. So, I read Magic Bites. How did you choose this book? How did so, you find this book? So, my first time trying to find a book, it was difficult. So, I basically went on to Goodreads. And then searched by category, which I was recommended um, urban urban fantasy. Urban fantasy. Urban it, fantasy. We, 
We have read an unconscionable amount of urban fantasy in the mm-hmm. last five years of doing this podcast. So, on as also pointed out to me, every review on Goodreads is a positive review. Correct. Goodreads loves everything. So, I read so many <laughs> reviews. I, re- I just picked books with the weirdest titles and then read like tens of reviews for each book. And then decided, based on the reviews, which one sounded just the weirdest. Mm -hmm. So that's what I went with. That's how I found this. So the best part about it is that this book, Magic Bites, is by Alona Andrews, who is an author that we have read twice before. (laughs) And that is so good to me. Alona Andrews is actually not a person. It is a husband and wife duo. And that is their pen name. Honestly, I see you and Mick going this direction. We have talked about what our pen name would be if we ever decided to write bad urban fantasy novels. Do we have any examples? I can't. We had some at some point, but I don't. I don't think we've. I don't think we've firmly chosen one yet. Well, we did at we'll one point one. start brainstorming what our bad urban fantasy book would be. Excellent. Um. So this book is extremely bad. Uh, it is the first book in the Kate Daniels series, but it is written like it is in a, like, super well-established universe that we should be familiar with, and it's, like, our main character is introduced, like, we should know everything about her already, Uh and so it just drops stuff on us without explaining anything, um, and all of the characters are introduced in insane ways. So, like, not only do we not know what's happening or who these people are, but we also don't understand, like, the way the world works. So, like, all of these explanations about the way magic works, we're missing all of it. And it is so confusing. So, I'm just going to read some quotes. We know... So, I picked up on that there are three, like, main groups. There's the Order, the People, and the Pack. All in title case. Um, I think... The order is basically like supernatural, uh, like law enforcement. <laughs> the people, I'm pretty sure, are vampires, and the pack are werewolves. Because that's right. come on, that's right yeah, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's also there's a lot in this book about words of power, words so primal, so dangerous, so powerful that they commanded the raw magic itself. Point of order. Yeah? That's Dune, baby. Yeah. That's just weirding words. That's Frank Herbert. No, but her words are obey, kill, protect, and die. Oh, that's just basically D&D command words right yeah. there. There's also a lot of shifters, so it's not just werewolves. It's a lot of shape changers. Nice. Uh, they wolves, call them shape changers? Yeah. Way to be bougie. Wolves were the most numerous. Then came the foxes, the jackals, the rats, and then the hyenas and the smaller felines. Lynxes, bobcats, and cheetahs. There were the exotic forms, too. The were-buffaloes and were-serpents. But the buffaloes formed their own herd in the Midwest, and the serpents were solitary. And then they give us a little bit of information about how shifting works. But they say, from a biological point of view, the transformation of a 170-pound human into a 220-pound animal made no sense. But then when it came to shape-shifting, the fluctuating mass was the least of the anomalies. Thank you for giving me information about that, but not telling me anything about our main character and who she is and why we're here. Are you suggesting some sort of supernatural phenomenon when it comes to shifting? Yeah. 
That's odd. Groundbreaking. Yeah. Uh, so we, we do find a little bit of how these three groups interact. The Order had little love for the pack, which was too organized and dangerous for their liking. But faced with a choice between the people and the shapeshifters, the Order would side with the pack. Who's the people again? Cool. Vampires, I think. Who's the Order then? I thought the Order were vampires. The cops. Like, oh. supernatural cops. Order or super... I'm pretty sure the Order are supernatural cops, the people are vampires, and the pack is shifters. Could the people be part of the Order? In... If we're analyzing this from election night special <laughs> uh, standpoint, really the order should be with the people as mm-hmm. the, 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 and I know the cops are not with the people, of course not. But if the, like the, what vampires represent is always the aristocracy, always mm-hmm. the elect, always the elite and select. And then the shifters always represent the down primitive. But the side. vampires also murder a bunch of people. Yeah. Oh. Like the elites. Yeah. Like, but so the cops open are your supposed eyes, to, okay. sheeple. <laughs> That's one of the types of shifters. So, one of the most confusing things is that like sometimes magic works, but sometimes it doesn't. And when magic is happening, technology doesn't work. But when magic has fallen, technology starts working again. So it like comes and goes in waves. Um, but there are some pieces of technology that still work when magic is happening. The theory is that since so many people are ignorant of the basic mechanical principles involved in making I'm the phone work, bored. to them it might just as well be magic. They believe blindly that it will work, so it does. On the other hand, cars are viewed as the sum of mechanical parts which are prone to failure. Therefore, when magic hits, they fail. Again, thank you for explaining this, but not who our goddamn main character is. That fucking sucks, by the way. So yeah. this is like Santa versus Tesla. That's what I'm... Hey. If you're in, if you're in the Bibliophile Club, welcome to your, your first book, Santa yeah. versus Tesla. <laughs> yep, I want you to write that. You've I'm been a it. very bad boy, Elon Musk. Oh, gross. I'm bringing you a sack of submarines. <laughs> oh my god! And then Elon Musk calls Santa a pedo, and it's a whole thing. <laughs> so Kate is our main character, and she's some sort of mercenary. Some nice. sort of mercenary. She is welcome asked to the episode title to help. The order investigate the murder of her mentor, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Greg. His <laughs> uh, <laughs> name's Greg. <laughs> never since the wear badger's named Derek have I had such a good time with the name of a character. Ah, yes, the revered mercenary, Greg. Greg. (laughs) Kate is supposed to be, like, almost 30, but she's definitely not because her two drinks of choice are Mike's Heart Lemonade and Boone's Farm Sangria. Oh, honey, no. That was what I drank when I was a sophomore in college. That's 19-year-old drinks. Yeah. You can't even be 21 and still want those. (laughs) Or the only rule that she follows in her investigative practice is, when in doubt, find a snitch and squeeze him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At one point, we're trying to describe the passage of time, and we say, moments stretched into minutes. Moments. <laughs> <laughs> Not even, like, hours or weeks. No, nope, minutes. <laughs> At one point, we're describing the Mexican restaurant that they're in, which is called Las Colimas. What does that Which mean? I looked up and is not a word. 
Las <laughs> Colinas is the hills, but Colimas is nothing. Maybe it's like the, the titties. The deck. The decorator of Las Colimas must have been a great admirer of both early Aztec and late Taco Bell architecture. I legit thought that one was funny. That's good. That was funny. That's a good one. Um, So here's my attempt at a plot summary. Kate is investigating the murder of Greg. (laughs) Greg. Kate's family died. Question mark. (laughs) Her search leads her to a vampire named Gastic. And the pack, who are werewolves, unsurprisingly. She teams up with the pack to kill a different vampire named Olaf, who is breeding a uh, stable can't go in the class of other vampires. No, Olaf is a lady. Oh. Oh, yeah. general. Yeah. Uh, she finds out that one of the people, the vampires, whose <sighs> name is Bono, was the one who <laughs> killed the <laughs> Uno, dos, tres, catorce. Yeah. And it turns out Bono isn't actually a vampire. He's some sort of other magical creature that needs to breed with a, a super powerful magical woman. So he's trying to kidnap Kate and then he dies. He's a leprechaun. He's from Ireland. No. Like, he's from you ba- too. Bono's from Ireland. But not this Bono. So then, like, okay, oh. this happens. So this happens. And he tries to kidnap Kate and... We, I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, and they kill him There's and everything's good. There's a train of thought in this book? There's not. And then we're like 72% of the way through it. And so I'm like, there must be some sort of like third act twist that happens if we have 28% left. And then I clicked the button and it was the epilogue. <laughs> we're just done at 72%. And the best part was that finally in the epilogue, we get some sort of fucking clue about how this goddamn universe works. So she gives notes at the end and answers frequently asked questions. A good sign for a, a book. A great sign wow. for your book. The world has suffered a magic apocalypse. We pushed the technological progress too far. Ah. And now magic has returned with a vengeance. It comes in waves without warning and vanishes as suddenly as it disappears. When magic what? Wait, is- wait, 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 wait. It vanishes as, as suddenly, suddenly as it, it appears. Okay. Sorry, that was me. When magic is up, planes drop out of the sky, no. cars stall, electricity dies. When magic is down, guns work and spells fail. It's a volatile, screwed up world. Magic feeds on technology, gnawing on skyscrapers until most of them topple and fall. Because, you know, skyscrapers are technology? From the they 1920s? Mm-hmm. So this is a world... Where magic is out in the open, it is not a Harry Potter hidden magic. Correct. Story. Okay. Yeah. Um, Which so we yeah, find out in the I epilogue. love that we get the explanation in the epilogue and instead of in the book, a frequently asked instead question. Of, instead of frequently asked questions, it should have been exposition. I forgot to give. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me uh-huh. ask you this question. Yeah. Can yes. I ask you this question? Yes. If I told you that this person wrote this after producing their own bibliophile style podcast. Does this become a different book? What do you mean? So, like, if anyone were to read our bibliophile style book, oh. they might be like, this is fucking stupid. There's a planet called New Haven or whatever, and there, and it's in space, and there's vampires. So if you were to read this as a person who has listened to bibliophile and then said, I'm going to write my own bibliophile book... No, because I feel like if we were to write a book based on all the things we've looked at, like learned about bad books, we would write it to be like 
funny. And so therefore we would write it to make sense. Yeah. We would explain mm-hmm. things. Yeah, fun mm-hmm. everything's always funny when you explain it. Well, no, we would give some type of exposition as to how the a world wink. works. A wink. You need a wink in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. So that was Magic Bites. It was not my favorite. You did a really good job. Thank good job. you. A very good job. Not quite as bad, I don't think, as Grave Decisions from Miss the Sounds of It. Because there was no boning in mine. No. Oh, well, that sounds I worse to me. Enough boning for all of you us. You sure so. did, bud. If you had to be... Hey, we're married after choose, all, huh? <laughs> If you had to choose. If you had to choose, you're putting yourself in this book. You have to be the people, the order, or the pack. Yeah, take this BuzzFeed quiz. Where would you be? I think that I would be the pack because mm. the pack was described as being like very family oriented, mm. very protective over each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always looking out for the interests of their fellow pack members mm-hmm. and they were like yeah, very protective. So I think I would be packed. If you said the order, you're a cop. <laughs> yeah, because the order are the cops. I know. So you're a cop. What would A-cab. you be? A-cab. A-cab. What would you be? I would be, I mean, based on my last few months of being very, very um, deep in the Twilight Saga, mm-hmm. <laughs> I you you would probably find me in the order. Oh, you're the, a cop. Not the people. Not oh, sorry, the people, the people, the people. Oh, you need the people. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, I'm no, no, no. Yeah, okay, I'm a vampire. Sorry. That means that if you're the, the mm-hmm. people and I'm the pack, <laughs> Nick is the cops. Fuck no, I'm not. <laughs> Mustache, you are a cop. Yeah. I'm a cop who barfs at his first dead body because he's not cut out to be a cop. <laughs> it's it's November, people. There is a mustache happening. I hate Hell, it. You can hear it. They can hear they it. They can hear it. Rub it's it against if the microphone. If they, <laughs> if they can't hear the podcast, then they can hear Susan's disdain for my mustache. You can hear the face that I'm making right now. <laughs> Anywho, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on to share your thoughts on grave decisions. For reading this terrible for, book. For engaging in the second, I can't believe this is only the second triangle trade we've ever done. Yeah. We had two couples challenges mm-hmm. in the very beginning, and then Charles gave me Fifty Shades of Grey. And you didn't read it. I read it to page 69. Nice. Thank you very much. Uh, And why should I read it past? I read all your dang book. This podcast is basically a smutty demon Eiffel Tower. What do you Uh, think about it? What do you think about it? Who's in front? Who's in the middle? And who's in back, Lauren? No, you started it. I want you your analysis. (laughs) I don't want this. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I take it all back. All right. In either case. Moving on. With that slight amount of sexual assault, we are going <laughs> to call it to a close. My name is Mick Dickinson, and you can find me on Twitter at Dickie Ma. I'm Susan Dickinson, and you can find me at Susan J, S with three U's, S A N J. Uh, and my name's Lauren L. And you'll never find me. You'll on never yeah. find her on social media. The but intro you- music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Uh, thank you for listening. You can find the the podcast at Bibliovile. Uh, uh, thanks for listening. What Go are you Blue. Guys? The Michigan? No. <laughs> Fuck the cops. Solidarity forever. Hey,